Good morning. Welcome. Yeah. We're so glad that you are here. My name is Colston, and I serve here at Northridge Church as the campus pastor out in Grozeal, and I also have the privilege of serving as a community group's pastor. And I mean, we are so thankful that you chose to be here. I am so very sorry that you do not own a boat or a lake house. I, and I'm sorry you didn't get the invite to go to your friend's lake house either. No. In all seriousness, no, I'm so thankful that you chose to be here on this holiday weekend as we... As we take time out of our schedules and our calendar as a country uh, to honor those who gave up everything, and you chose to be here to worship with us, I'm, for that I'm very thankful. Each and every one of us, we have those marked moments and memories in our lives, those defining moments that may have changed the course of history for us. I had such of those moments on December 27th, 2005. I was a sophomore in college. And uh, I got a phone call from my mom. And through her hysteria and through her tears and her crying, I learned of the sin and infidelity of my stepfather. As a sophomore in college, I spent the next few months watching our family unravel. I saw how the sin had caused such pain and hurt in my mom's life the stability, the financial stability that she had and she had experienced over the course of her life was immediately gone. And as a college student, watching her struggle to make the bills, to keep her lights on, it was a very trying time in my life. If I'm honest with you this morning, it was one of the first times in my entire life that my faith was tested. It was the first time that I truly had to depend on God. And I, all morning long, what, what you're going to learn about me is what you see is what you get. And I didn't respond well to that circumstance. I didn't respond by faith. I took that moment and I shook my fist at God. How in the world could you allow this to happen to my mom? How could this woman of faith, this woman who was a Sunday school teacher, who, who served you, who loved you, who honored you, how could you allow this to happen? I thought you were loving God. I thought you were good God. I thought you were providing God. How in the world, God, did you let this situation and circumstance happen? And I spent months shaking my fist at God. What's your phone call? What's your defining moment in life where your faith was put through the fire? We all have them. James chapter 1 tells us that it's not a matter of if we experience trials, but it's a matter of when. What was that time in your life? Maybe it was a phone call. Maybe it was a, a conversation with your doctor. We all have those moments, those defining moments where our faith is put through the test. And what I realize now, not at the time, but what I realize now, was that there was a truth, a reality that was playing out before me. And it plays out before each and every one of us. That reality is this, that at every trial and every circumstance is a temptation not to trust God. It's a temptation not to trust Him. And I was failing. I was shaking my fist at God. I was angry. I was frustrated. As I looked out over the landscape of what was possibly about to happen, I did not see an answer. I did not see a way out. Each and every one of us, when we're faced with trials and circumstance, it's a temptation not to trust in who God is. 
the truth that I fail to live by and the truth that we most of the time fail to live by is that God can be trusted 100% of the time. The truth that God can be trusted no matter what. No matter what we experience, no matter what we feel, no matter what goes on, no matter what falls apart in our life, God can be trusted. Malachi 3, um, verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, I do not change. I don't change. The same truth is uh, repeated again in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have a God who never changes, nothing about him. Despite what we go through, despite the ups and the downs, God is consistent. Therefore, he can be trusted. But here's the reality. That because we are broken, sinful human beings, the reality is this, is our default is not trust. Our default response in life is control. And when we have control, when we're trying to manipulate circumstances, when we're trying to figure out answers and to make life better for us, guess what we're not doing? We're not trusting in a God who never changes. When we have control and we experience those lows and lows of life, our emotions begin to overwhelm us, do they not? That fear, that anxiety, that despair, those become that loneliness that becomes our companions. When we choose not to trust God in those moments, we are trying to figure it out all on our own. And if we're just honest enough with ourselves, we're not very good at it. We're not very good at it. We miss out on the, the peace, the hope, the joy, the assurance that God desires us to live in. We miss out because we have control. Not because we're trusting we miss out. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named David. Uh, David is described as a man after God's own heart. And if you have any time to study the life of David, what you will find is that David had some incredible highs in life. As you, what you may not know, as a young, young boy, David was out tending sheep and a bear came along and he just killed the bear. Like that's kind of, yep, boom, done. Killed a bear. Can you say that? Hey, it doesn't count if you have a gun. David also killed a lion. Ultimately, he killed Goliath as a young man. I mean, ultimately, God chose him to be the, the king of the nation of Israel. David had some incredible highs. God was with him throughout his life, constantly, victory after victory. But with those incredible highs came some incredible lows. At one point before David actually became the king of Israel, the current king, Saul, tried to kill him. Imagine this. Most scholars think David was somewhere 16, 18, 20 years old at the oldest when the king of Israel tried to kill him. Think about being hunted down by an entire nation. And then later on in life, as David does become king, he, he allows his selfish, sinful ways to trump the obedience to God. And because of his sin, he experienced the turmoil and the chaos, the consequences of that. It was an incredible low. He lost his son, and, and the consequences far reaching into his family history. Then later in life, as David has been king for some time, his older son, Absalom, begins to envy the throne. And David goes on the run because his son Absalom desires to kill him. Imagine being hunted down by your own son. Incredible, incredible lows. 
And just like each and every one of us in life, we have some incredible highs and we have some incredible lows. The question is, do we live in the truth that God is trustworthy 100% of the time? Do we live in that truth in the highs and do we live it in the lows? I've lived long enough and I've been through enough lows that I can honestly tell you that that is not always how I live. Our default answer is control, not trust. And this morning what I wanna do is I wanna walk us through Psalms 13. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to be there. If not, the verses will be on the screen. But Psalm 13 is a very short psalm that David writes, and scholars debate about what's going on in his life. They don't know if this psalm was written as he was being hunted by Saul, being hunted by his son Absalom. They're not really sure. The circumstances that surround this psalm aren't as important as the decisions that David makes in that process. This psalm, it's only six verses long. And it's broken down into three separate parts. And I want to just walk us through this. Because what David's going to show us, he's going to show us how to handle adversity and chaos and turmoil. And and how we can choose to trust God through it all. Because remember, our default is not trust. Our default is control. So I I want us to dive into Psalms 13. So starting in verse 1, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David, in this first two verses, this section I call the protest. This is a a moment in time in David's life where he's going, God, where are you? God, you have forgotten me. Are you gonna let me go through this all forever? You notice how he says, you've hidden your face from me. There's this accusing language that David has here that, man, it sounds like, God, you left, you went away. He has this sense of abandonment. You've, you, your face is no longer near. Notice how he says, how long must I, I take counsel in my soul? In this protest, his, David is shaking his fist at God. And what he's got going on is the situation, the circumstance has consumed him. It's all he thinks about. It goes through. It's like David had a DVR system in his brain, and he had recorded the events of this history right here, and he would play them over and over and over and over. It consumed him. And notice how he says, how long must I take counsel in my own soul? David was used to God showing up and being the one to calm him down, to, to lead him, to guide him. In this very moment, you see David, just a raw, emotional human being, shaking his fist at God. We've been there, haven't we? God, why are you allowing this to happen? How long are you going to let this go on? Forever? Is this how life is going to... I thought you loved me, God. I thought you cared about... I thought you were a good God. We've been there. In this very moment, you sense that David is not choosing trust, but he's choosing control. He's being led by his emotions. Because David, in this very moment, has forgotten everything he knows to be true about God. See, David would have been a good Jewish boy. He would have gone to synagogue. He would have gone to church. He would have learned about the goodness of God, the character of God. He would have learned that God never leaves him or forsake him. Even Deuteronomy 31 this is a verse that David would have, would have heard, he would have known, and more than likely, it, he would have even had this memorized as a young boy. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In this very moment, because David was not choosing trust, 
his emotions. He was being led astray. He was being jaded by what he knew to be true. He knew that God was there, but that's not how he felt. So he was in this season of protest. God, where are you? You've abandoned me. You've let me go. I thought you loved me, God. I thought you were supposed to be here. The beautiful thing is this, is that David doesn't stay and he doesn't live in protest. He moves on. Verses three and four. It says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David moves from protest into these next two verses and he moves into prayer. He says, God, I need you to light up my eyes. Now that's a phrase we don't normally use a whole lot. But it was a phrase to express how physically broken David was. He had nothing left. In that world, in that society, what would have happened is they would have communicated that someone had strength, you know, the light of their eyes. If their eyes were dark, it means they had nothing left. They were empty. And so David is praying this prayer of dependence. God, I need you to light my eyes. I'm depending on you to show up. If you do not show up, God, notice what he says, I will sleep the sleep of death. If you don't show up and intervene, God, I'm done. I'm dead. My enemies are going to rejoice. They're going to they're mock me. They're going to make fun of me because I was conquered by this. David's prayer was this transition in his language. He was moving away from being controlled by his emotions and seeking dependence upon God. Can I just be transparent with you some more this morning? In that season of life where I got that phone call, I went through my season of protest, but as a good Christian boy at Bible college, I knew that I couldn't live there. I knew that that protest was not how I was supposed to be, so I moved to prayer. But there was a big difference between my prayer and David's prayer. My prayers were the coercive, manipulative prayers. God, I need you to show up now. God, this bill needs to be paid right now. You need to provide. God, you need to change the situation. You need to change the circumstance. This is the time frame in which you have to work, God, so move. You ever done that? You ever prayed those types of prayers, expecting God, telling him and demanding him to jump through your hoops? Hey, no one's judging you. We all do. We expect him to show up in the ways that we expect. And when he doesn't, guess what we do? We move back to protest. And for months, I lived in this cycle, protests, prayer. God, you didn't show up, you didn't answer, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, and I went back to protest. And that cycle over and over and over and over again. As a pastor, I know that many of you today are living in that same cycle. You've been protesting with God, shaking your fist. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you doing this? And you've prayed out and you've given him a list of demands to meet and he hasn't. So you're just shaking your fist all the more. Our prayers aren't like David's. Prayers of dependence. Our prayers are manipulative and coercive. Why? Because our natural default is control, not trust. But David's is different. His prayer was a prayer of dependence. And then he moves on to the next two verses. Read with me. It says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Notice that transitional, that conjunction, but right there in verse 5. 
Despite how I feel, despite what's going on around me, despite that my enemies may conquer me, I choose trust. And it's not, I choose trust in your steadfast, your unmoving, unwavering love. I choose trust. Even if my enemies, he says, I'm going to rejoice in your salvation. Even if the enemies conquer me and this situation consumes me, I'm still going to rejoice, God, because my end, my future, my eternity is secure in you. So if you show up and you rescue me out of this situation right now, I'm going to praise you. If you choose not to, God, I'm going to praise you because the end is already set for me. He says he's going to praise the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with him. That he knows that God has a track record of showing up, of being present in his life. That every situation, every circumstance, God was there. But that's not how he started, was it? He didn't start there. He started shaking his fist in protest. Then he moved to this transition of, of prayer, of dependence upon God, and then ultimately to praise. In this very moment, David's expressing the, the reality that we need to live in. See, the thing is this, is that we must choose to trust in the middle of our chaos. David teaches us in this psalm right here that, that protest to prayer, to praise, is that you and I, we must choose to trust God in the middle of our chaos. That's a choice that he made. A choice that he made to relinquish control and allow God to lead him. Not his emotions, not his fear, not his own cognitive understanding and ability, but God was going to try. He was going to let God lead him. He relinquished control. So the question is this, how do we do that? If our default is control, how do we choose trust? Because most of us, we're used to living in control. We're used to having fear and chaos and turmoil. We're used to having despair. We're used to have those feelings of abandonment and loneliness lead us and guide us. Many of us have never experienced the peace, the joy, the comfort that God so desperately desires us to live in. So how? How do we choose trust when we don't feel like it? How do we choose trust when everything around us seems to fall apart? Three things David gives us in the psalm that I think I want to I point out to you so that you can choose to trust God no matter what. The first thing is this, is that we have to have a continual pursuit of knowing God. A continual pursuit of knowing him. Verse 5 says he's trusted. Notice how it's past since He's trusted in his steadfast, unmoving, unwavering love. David knew what God's unwavering love was all about. He had an experience how God had shown up over and over and over again in his life. He had an understanding of who God was and his character. You realize that we have the privilege, the honor, the freedom to pick up this book at any given time, at any given day, of any given week, and get to know our Creator. We have the ability to study this, to learn this, to know this, to get to know Him, to know His goodness, to know His love, to know His grace. It's right here. But let's just be real, right? We're busy. We got a lot of things going on. We can't wake up any earlier, can't go to bed any later, if we're just honest, life gets in the way. The more we know him, the more that changes us. The more we know him, the easier it is for us to trust him because we know who he is. 
the more we know him, the more it shapes and molds our lives the more that we can see him at work around us. We can take the time as we get to know him more, we see how he's been at work in our past. I'm 11 years removed from that, that moment in our life that marked our family, I'm 11 years removed. I can look back and I can see how God was moving the pieces at every step of the way. That every single thing he had control of, I didn't see it in the moment. I was too jaded with my emotions, I wasn't trusting but I see it now. The more I know his goodness, the more I know him, the easier it is for me to trust him. The more we know him, the more we trust him, then David teaches us this, is that we have to have a a continual surrender of ourselves. See, the more we know how good he is, the more we know how we're not that awesome. We have to have a continual surrender of self. David moved from protest to prayer. Notice it was here that that he made that transition away from being in control himself to surrendering control to God. Remember what he said? God, I need your light. Light up my eyes. That is your light, God, not mine. I can't do anything about this situation. I can't do anything about this circumstance. God, I need you. He chose to surrender self and surrender control and allow God. And prayer was that avenue that David used to express that dependence on God. It was a reminder to him that God was bigger than he was, that God was in control. It's our communication exposing our need for him. And we have to continually let go and allow him to lead. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean into your own understanding. Again, this is a truth that many of us have heard, but here's the reality that plays out in my life is that I I know that God is in control. I know that he's powerful. I know that he has the ability to take things. So I say, Lord, I need you to take this situation. And I I lay it down. And then I wait. God, where are you? It's been three minutes. Do something. And when he doesn't move when I want him to do, you know what I do? Because my default is not trust, but it's control. I grab that, and I, I try to manipulate the circumstances of the situation to control the outcome. And then when it all falls apart, okay, Lord, here you go. It's yours. Do something with it. Really? You let me make a mess of it and you're still not doing anything to fix it? All right, well, I'll try again. And I pick it up and I try to control the situation. A dependence and a surrender of self allows God to lead us, allows him to guide us, because he is the only one that can control outcomes. No matter how smart you think you are, no matter how many degrees or letters are behind your name, you can't control outcomes. Only he can. And I play that tug of war with God all the time, do you? Try to fix your kids, parents? Yep, I thought so. I'm a parent. It doesn't work so well, does it? Try to fix your grandkids? Yeah, I know there's some grandparents in here that want to fix their grandkids. (laughs) Trusting God allows him to change us. It allows him to work in us, through us, and in the circumstance. But when we have control, God's not going to jump through our hoops. That's not who he is. We have to continually surrender ourselves because the more we know him, the more we know he's in control, the more power, how good and loving he is, 
how we're sinful, selfish, broken people, so we have to continually surrender ourselves. And as we do so, David teaches us that we have to have a continual lifestyle of worship. Notice he says in uh, verse five, my heart re rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Worship is the act of ascribing worth or value to something. And a lifestyle of worship is a continual pursuit of, of giving God worth, of giving him glory, of giving him honor, ascribing him value. And in order to do that, guess where my focus has to be? Vertical. And if my focus and my attention of continually uh, lifestyle of worship, giving him praise, giving him glory, if it's vertical, guess where it isn't? Horizontally. It's not... My attention, my focus isn't on the chaos, the turmoil around me. It's on ascribing him worth and ascribing him glory. And if I know him really well, guess what? It makes it a whole lot easier to put all my focus and attention on him. If I know that he's the only one that can control outcomes, why would I ever look this way for an answer? The more that I worship him, I ascribe him worth, I ascribe him glory. Worship, it requires me to focus my heart, my attention directly on who God is. It brings the character of him right to the forefront. The songs we sang this morning all focused on how the character of God, that he is good, that he loves us, that he's never going to fail, that he won't allow us to fail. One of the, the lyrics was that God can do anything but fail. See, worship has this beautiful way of, of focusing my heart, my attention there and quieting the chaos and the turmoil in my spirit. It has a way of making, as I sing to my creator God, it has a way of making my problems seem really insignificant compared to him. As we get to know God more and more and more, as we surrender ourselves on a continual basis, as we have a lifestyle of worship, we have the ability to choose trust. Our default no longer has to be control, but it can be trust. And when we choose to trust him, no matter what goes around, around us, no matter how we feel, if we choose trust, then God has the ability to turn our anxiety into assurance. When we choose trust, God turns our sorrow into joy. When we choose trust, he turns our despair into hope. When we choose trust, he turns our chaos into peace. He takes our fear and makes it faith. All when we choose to trust him. A few weeks ago, um, I took my daughter to the playground. You know, after it stopped snowing and sleeting in May, um, I took my daughter to the playground. And uh, my daughter is almost four years old. And she has two speeds. Sleep and turbo, okay? And some of you parents, you have kids that have slept, you know, they sleep 10, 12 hours. I envy you. My little turbo Hadley sleeps like seven and a half or eight hours. So from like 6 a.m. to about 9 or 9.30, it's turbo. So like any good parent, you do the best you can to get all that energy out as fast as possible. So I took her to the playground. And she's running around having a good time and she climbs up on the, on the playground and she gets to the ledge overlooking the monkey bars. And she really wants to do that. Hadley, do you, baby, do you wanna, you wanna do the monkey bars? Yes, daddy. So I walk over and I said, okay, here's what I want you to do, Hadley. 
I want you to stand there and I want you to jump. I'll, I'll catch you. Trust me, I'll catch you. But I want you to jump out and try to grab the monkey bars. And I spent like the next 30, minute, 30 seconds, minute, trying to coerce my daughter into trusting me to jump. Because she looked at the distance and she knew it was far. I don't know if she was doing, you know, math and physics in her head, knowing that the angle and the weight and the gravity, she wasn't going to make it. And she also looked at me, and I could see in her eyes, as she was looking at her daddy, can I trust him? Is, is he really going to catch me? I mean, I started working out and stuff. I mean, she's like 12, 30 pounds. I can handle So, baby, I, I got you. Baby girl, I got you. Trust me. Trust me. And that went on for a couple minutes, and she wouldn't jump. So I just stood back and was silent. Didn't say a word, and I let her think. You could see the anxiety. You could see the fear. Baby, you ready? Yeah, Daddy. So I walked over, and I said, okay, I want you to jump as far as you can, and Daddy's going to catch you. She did. She wasn't even close. <laughs> I mean, we're talking feet. She's four, or almost four. She can't jump. But you know what? You know what? Her daddy caught her. Grabbed her around the waist, lifted her up, and carried her from one bar to the next, to the next, to the next. I set her down, and she ran around the playground, came back up and stood on that ledge again. I said, Hadley, love, you want to do that again, baby? Yeah, Daddy. All right, baby girl, I got you. Trust me. And she didn't hesitate this time. She jumped. I caught her the second time. Don't worry. I caught her. Took her from monkey bar to monkey bar to monkey bar to the end. Set her down. And she ran off to another area of the playground. I can't help but think that God is standing there saying, trust me. I've got you. I, I know the distance is too far. I know the situation. I know the circumstance you're facing. I know it's more than you can handle. Trust me, I've got you. I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. I am God. Trust me, I've got you. And I know that some of you are standing there calculating a way, trying to figure out how in the world can I do this myself? How can I manipulate this circumstance so that I can do this? And God is sitting here telling you this morning, I've got you. Trust me. I don't know what storm you're in. I don't know what circumstance is facing you today. But trust is the answer. And that begins with the surrender of knowing who he is and the surrender of yourself. Some of you here today, you have never taken that decision and that step to surrender who you are to who he is. Today is the day that you seek his forgiveness and seek his leadership. Seek him as the Lord of your life. Give him control. For some of you today, today is the day that you get out of that cycle of protest and prayer, protest and prayer, and your prayer turns from manipulation and coercion to trust, to dependence. Today's the day that you choose to trust. So if you would, in this moment, would you bow your heads and close your eyes?
if you are here and today is that time for you to surrender for the very first time, I want you right now to cry out into your heart. However you need to say this to God, just say, God, I surrender. I know that you love me and I know that I'm broken and I've got issues. But God, I give you control. God, forgive me of my brokenness, forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you, God, that you come and be my Lord. I give you control. Father, as we come before you today, God, we rest in the fact that you never change, that you are good, that you are loving, that you are powerful, that you are in control. And God, I know today that there's so many here that do not choose trust. God, may you remind them of who you are. God, may they choose to surrender themselves and keep their focus vertically on you as they worship you with their lives so that they can choose trust. And we will give you all the praise, the honor, and glory because you are worthy of it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If today, for the very first time, you chose to surrender your heart and your life, to give him control and allow him to lead, we have in our program a connection card. And I challenge you to take that connection card, fill that out, and drop it in the offering bo or the bo boxes as you leave. As a church, it's our privilege to walk alongside you in the middle of your chaos, to help you walk by faith in trusting him. That's our privilege, and we wanna do that for you. But we can't if you don't let us know. So would you fill that out, drop in the box. If you're online, just hit the what next button and we'll connect with you as well. May this weekend be a weekend that you choose trust. May this weekend be a marked moment in your life because you constantly and continually hear God say, I've got you. Choose trust. He's got you. Have a great weekend.